Hey guys, what's up? It's Greg with Cinematics. I have three interviews for you this week, this weekend. It's for this movie called The Loneliest Boy in the World. The movie hit theaters on Friday, October 14th. I'm recording this on Saturday. Here's the thing. You guys can watch it in theaters this weekend. Most of you, however, will be able to check it out on digital and on demand October 18th. I initially, for the Find Your Film podcast, I gave it a three out of five stars. Upon actually doing these interviews and thinking about the movie a little bit more, a little bit of an upscale for me, three and a half out of five. I really loved how this movie, it's a zombie comedy. It has moments of really, it's not a body horror, dark movie. It's sort of a light, fluffy zombie comedy. And if you, if you sound, if that kind of hybrid appeals to you on a surface level, this should work as a surface entertainment film. I really appreciated or glommed onto the just the layered theme of Oliver, played by Max Harwood. You might know him from last year's Prime Video musical, Everybody's Talking About Jamie. Anyways, Max Harwood plays Oliver. He's a guy who's very lonely. He is the loneliest boy in the world. Why? His Both his father and recently his mother have passed on. Okay? His, his mother passed on by, I believe, uh, via a garden gnome. I'm not, I'm not going to say any more about how the garden gnome plays in her passing. But he's very... I mean, in a way, he's lonely, but he's spending his his days watching ALF reruns on television. Or I don't even know if it's reruns because I think this movie was set in 1987. The actual production de- design of the movie, it feels like he's living in a sitcom-y, pastiche, beautiful, pastel-colored home. So maybe a part of this, this movie is described as a fairy tale. Okay, so it's, called, it's, it's, it's described as a modern-day fairy tale set in... 87, of course. But anyways, Oliver, he's visited upon, upon by two social workers, played by Evan Ross and Ashley Benson. And they come and they're wondering if this guy, he's a teen, if he can actually live by himself without any parental supervision. Unless, so their, their caveat to him, their deal with him is he must find a friend within a week or so. If not, they may ship him out of the house and put him under some kind of some kind of other care, uh, some kind of supervision. So now the the challenge behind this story, Oliver's journey, is he's trying to find friends and trying to find his own extended family to help him get through life. Now, there are a couple of grave diggers in this movie. There are some bullies. There is a seemingly nice girl he meets on a bench near his home one day. These are prospective friends for Oliver, but ultimately he ends up digging up some dead bodies, some cadavers in a local graveyard, okay? And <laughs> it's very, you know, this movie, the first time I saw it, I just thought it was light, frothy, entertainment at three. But again, it's one of those movies that stuck with me, and that's why I gave, gave it a little bit of an upscale. I really enjoyed the family in this. He unearths just these different cadavers. I think most of them, or if not all of them, perished in a tragedy nearby. I'm not going to mention what that was, but he un, he unearths them. He, he digs them up and he puts them in his house. He props them up on his couch and lo and behold, they start speaking and they come to life, life that is for whatever an undead person does to come to life. So the rest of the movie deals with how they are this atomic undead slash one human family and how Oliver tries to make friends with them and bond with them, and how they they eventually become a support system for him. But as we know, being friends with dead, it's it's great to remember your loved ones. I think about my my late father on on a daily basis. I love him and I miss him. But 
Obviously so. I'm sure a lot of you are, are in the same place. But the key for Oliver is he can't be self he can't be sufficient on he can't rely on zombies for daily emotional nourishment because it just doesn't seem logical. Who knows what the zombies might might do? They might eat him, they're undead. I don't I'm not gonna say what happens to them. But ultimately, the journey is for Oliver to realize that digging up dead bodies in a graveyard is not a way to make friends. It's actually possibly making friends with the wonderful people that are around him in this town. I believe it was set in, I think it's called Camerthen or something, somewhere in Wales. Very idyllic, beautiful location. There are some really beautiful shots in The Loneliest Boy in the World as well. So yeah, this is one of these movies that really crept up on me. If you're watching it this weekend on the big screen, it'll be a couple of reasons. One, you're a fan of Max Harwood from Everybody's Talking About Jamie, and he's very good in this movie. He also sings, and I mentioned this in the interview, he also sings a version, a modern-day version, of the Go West song. I was going to say the Go West song, We Close Your Eyes. No, the Go West song, The King of Wishful Thinking. Love that song. Love King of Wishful Thinking. And also Hero Finds Tiffin. I'm sure some of you might have seen Hero most recently in The Woman King, and he was also in the After movies as well. He, I believe he's a nephew of Ray Fiennes, and I interviewed him as well. It's a six-minute interview, six to seven-minute interview. So I interviewed Hero, I interviewed the lead actor, Max Harwood, and finally, you're going to get my interview with director Martin Owen. We get into the weeds of, of the directing process. It's about a 13-ish, 13-minute-ish interview, very in-depth about his work. I, that's a really good interview as well. And Max, since I've interviewed him before, there's a little bit of familiarity. Familiar, familiar, familiarity, familiar. There, there's a lack of familiarity, familiarity. There, there. And because I've interviewed Max Harwood before, that we are pretty much familiar with each other. He remembered me, remembered me from everybody talking. And the Max Harwood interview is really good as well as the second time interviewing him. So there is a familiar level between us. So even though it's only for several minutes, he's a really cool person to speak with. I'm really looking forward to see where he goes on with his career. Hero Finds Tiffin has a huge following. So we're also very interested to see how high his star will rise. And Martin Owen is one of these directors who, armed with a mid-sized budget, ends up directing high and films, in my opinion, high-end genre films. They look good on screen, and whether you're buying them on physical media or they're streaming, they're really good pieces of entertainment. I would start first personally with Killer Anonymous, Killers Anonymous, and then move forward from there. Again, he was he worked with Scott Atkins in this intri- intriguing video game hybrid thing called Max Max Cloud, Twist, and now the loneliest boy in the world. So finally. Okay, finally, I, I want to also mention for our Cinematics Patreon this month on October, I'm pulling up my text right now. Anderson and I will be taping the the extra episode for Cinematics, and his choice for October, we are covering the 1955 pick. He is His pick is Marty, starring Ernest Borgnine. It's a movie that I have not seen. I, I can't believe it. I haven't seen Marty. It's been, I believe it's directed by Martin Ritt and received its share of acclaim when it was released in 1955. I am covering the Frank Sinatra film, The Man with the Golden Arm. It's directed by Otto Preminger. It's one of those movies, just because of the drug addiction subject matter, I just didn't want to come close to it. 
not because I'm a drug addict or have drug addicts in my family. It's just, it's a subject that really does not appeal to me. I don't like watching it on screen. I mean, look, what was that Darren Aronofsky film that is escaping me right now? But that was a movie that I just can't watch. I watched it one time. I really can't watch it again. I can't believe I'm blanking on the Darren Aronofsky film. It's not Noah. It's not Pi. It is not, I was going to say, it's not A Light in the Forest. A Light in the Forest is a, I think, A Light in August. I was thinking it's, that's, that's a William Faulkner movie. The movie where, where it's about drug addiction, it's not The Whale, the upcoming movie, The Whale, Requiem for a Dream, released in 2000. I actually did the press junket for that movie, Requiem for a Dream. I, yeah, love that movie. I've only seen it once. What is your favorite Darren Aronofsky film, by the way? Mine is The Fountain, released in 2006. So anyways, here are my interviews for, yes, The Loneliest Boy in the World. Lastly, lastly, I apologize for this. Again, for our Cinemax Patreon, you're going to get that extra episode with bonus episode every month where Anderson and I cover movies from the 1940s, from 1940 to 1980. After we have about seven or eight more of these bonus episodes to go. And again, we are focusing on the year 1955 for October. But... Also, that I'm working on this within the next couple of days, I actually asked Martin Owen, I asked Hero Finds Tiffin, and I asked Max Harwood to talk about the ending of this movie of the Lonely Boy in the World, and that those video clips, those video and that those video clips will only be exclusive, or and that information will be exclusive to our Patreon members. So if you do watch the Lonely Boy in the World either in theaters or on demand digital, you can actually access our Patreon page and get their take on the, fi- the the ending of this movie. And what's interesting is Max Harwood has a very cool take on the ending of this movie. Now, I, I want to do one more disclaimer about The Loneliest Boy in the World. I liked it. I liked it more uh, as the week progressed. So this is a three and a half out of five. I initially gave it three out of five. My Find Your Film co-host, co-host Eric Holmes gave it three and a half out of five. Bruce Porky gave it two and a half out of five. So it's it's recommended by me and Eric. The Rotten Tomato score is 22% as we speak. So I'm I'm warning you about that. That it has a, a low rating. That said, another colleague of mine, his name is Fred Topel. I've known him for 20 years. I read he on UPI.com, United Press International. He gave it a really good review as well. So if you don't trust me, if you don't trust Eric, Trust this guy named Fred Topel. He gave it a really, I don't know if it's Fred Topel or Fred Fred Topel, but Fred Topel, he's a very, Fred Topel, he's a very good journalist and I really like his opinions. He, what did he says? Let's see. um, The makeup, the makeup quote, the makeup is good. The friendly zombies are a sweet support system for Oliver and the film does champion making your own family wherever you can find it. Yeah. Ultimately, the themes of this movie resonated with me. And hopefully some of you will ab- absolutely check out The Loneliest Boy in the World. Okay, I'm going to shut up now. Here is, Here are the interviews and take care. And thanks again for supporting me, Anderson, and our buddies, Bruce and Eric here on the Cinematics Podcast. Take care, guys. Bye. The Loneliest Boy in the World, it can be considered a, a zombie comedy. But what really resonated with me was the theme of really the scary aspect of trying to find friends in this world. It's not just about the loneliest boy. It's about how we as people are can be very lonely ourselves. Can you speak to that truth to yeah. the movie? Yeah. I mean, I really love that. I think that so much of this, this week and talking about this film, you know, like everyone's like, what's your favorite zombie film? I was like, this is like a family comedy to me. Like it's not a zombie movie, even though it, the zombies are a device to, to, you know, add 
an interesting element to the film, but I, I don't see it as a zombie movie. So I'm glad you said that. Um, and you know, yeah, we, 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 we explore what it's like to be a, a teenager trying to discover yourself and trying to make friends, especially on the back of, you know, very isolated and traumatic childhood. So, um, yeah, I think this, this movie really speaks to finding your crowd and finding your, the people that connect to you and, you know, really redefining what normal is on all levels, levels, I suppose. It's not normal to have a zombie family, but your chosen family are really important, I suppose. It's kind of what the underlying message is. You know, without giving too much away, Oliver goes through a real big journey in this movie. Can you talk about staying in the moment during some of the more emotional parts where you're, where Oliver is breaking down and, and crying? How do you get in that moment? Is it easier than one, one would assume, or is it a lot hard, harder? Because it seemed to me very, a very difficult thing to do. It's, it's always challenging to tap into anything, um, remotely, um, emotional or, um, heavy. Um, but I think it's important. And, you know, we were really lucky on this job that the, the crew and the cast, we all lived together and we really grew close and that enabled us to be vulnerable with each other. And a lots of those moments is just not about pushing the emotion. It's just about letting the guard down and, and allowing yourself to be vulnerable. And you're right, that can be incredibly difficult um, when you don't feel safe to feel vulnerable. But um, a testament to Martin and the team for um, really making me feel safe to be vulnerable on this one um, in those moments because, you know, we're, we were making a comedy film. So it's, you know, those moments like kind of don't, those more dramatic moments, you know, a bit out of place with, you know, the funny jokes we were cracking all the time. But actually they did allow space and time for that. And, um I really enjoy those moments on set as an actor because, um, I mean, especially the scene at the end um, where he goes to visit his mum for that last time is is one that is was super. Um, it was actually just really cathartic to do. I won't go into it too much detail, but my mum's favourite flower is a yellow rose, um, and that again, just as a physical and a visual aid for me, was just an, a way in um, to my own love for my mum. Uh, who is very much alive, but, um, you know, um, I think visual aids are great for me. And that was one, it was a part, and it's my mum's favorite scene in the film now, which is just amazing. So I was like, we chose the rose because of you. That's amazing. Max, I'm going to ask you a superficial question. I'm a, I'm a Gen Xer. I grew up in the eighties. What was yeah. it like to cover King of Wishful Thinking? Because that's such an, an iconic song. And how did you get, you, you did it service and you did it justice. Can you talk about that process? So kudos to you. It was, um, thanks for asking about it. I've actually haven't been asked about the song that much. I think it's because I've not really spoken a lot publicly about actually that song, the song just yet. So, um, um, it was a real joy. I love, I love making music. That song came about because we all lived in this house and I was playing um sam smith on the piano one day in in our um in our like dining hall there was a piano so i was playing sam smith and singing and the producer came in and was like wow you can you can actually really sing obviously um jamie hadn't come out at this point and um you know i, I just he didn't know me obviously so i was like uh, would you like to we should get you to sing on the credits and i went yeah and I, I called out my team right away i was like they want me to sing on the credits we need to make sure we lock this in and then i went in and worked with the invisible men for like a couple of weeks on we had this idea of like wouldn't it be cool if we find an 80s song that we um really love and we like put a modern twist on it and um it was actually john shave who um suggested this song and this song um king of wishful thinking i knew from pretty woman 
Um, so I, 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 I was really like, this is the song. We have to get this song because the it being in Pretty Woman and, um, you know, I just think it was like such a perfect fit and it was just really cool to get to do something that's, you know, that's just another little piece of art that's going to live on and continue to reference the original art. And I just was really happy that I got to do it. Like, it was just who, like not many people get to sing on the credits of the film that they leave. So, I mean, a few people do, you know, and have done it really successfully in the last couple of years. But um, it's just, it was a joy and really fun. You know, I, I was looking at some of these interviews and with your, your premiere. I think it was Evan Ross who he describes you as a unicorn. And I apologize for you to actually. You yes. hear unicorn a lot. I don't know why. That, that's so amazing. That's such a nice compliment. But I guess, and I apologize that you have to actually sum this up in some kind of soundbite. But what has been the last maybe year and a half, two years like for you? You get all these compliments. You're being vulnerable, and people are are really welcoming your work with open arms and and loving you on that level. What has it been like for you just to receive that that praise? And I'm sure you talked about your mother. I, I'm sure your family really helps you bring you that foundation as well. So, Oh, they do. My family take bring me right back down to the ground. Um, but um, as all families do and should do. Um, I don't know. Like, I, you know, grew up, went, went to, like, state school and um, didn't get into, I, I think I told you last time when we spoke, didn't get into all the drama schools that I wanted to go to. Felt quite, quite dejected had like a really kind of weird route into the industry where I did like an open call. And, you know, I think my main thing is that, you know, I still get told no a lot and, you know, cause you audition for things and you meet for things that don't work out. But I think um, this job is just about finding people you connect with and want to work with you. And um, if you take talent and being a unicorn out of that, the thing that is the most important is passion and being a hard worker. Um, and because if you work and meet the right people, they can nurture your talent and develop your talent in a way I could have not done half of the stuff I've done and achieved without, um, you know, Dan Gillespie sales teaching me how to sing into a microphone properly, or, you know, Martin teaching me how to be funny and have fun on a set. Like all of these people that you meet, they, they add to your talent, I suppose, rather than the talent purely just coming from you. I just don't believe that to be true. It's comedy. There's parts of darkness in this movie as well, but I think the location seems, you know, maybe it's movie illusion. It seems so idyllic. I mean, even though there's a gravesite, there's that beautiful uh, ocean front. Can you just talk where you shot and is it that idyllic or was that just really wonderful, wonderful angles or something? (laughs) So. No, really gorgeous. We shot in Carmarthen in Wales in the, in in the UK. And it was, um, we were very, very lucky for the majority of the shoot. The sun was shining and, um, bar a couple of days where the graveyard, which is a real, real graveyard, um, that we shot in was flooded and with rain because obviously we're in the UK. But yeah, no, amazing landscapes, amazing, you know, seafronts, water views. Um, it, it was, it was, it was really, it was really joyous. You know, we're in the pandemic. We got to spend a lot of time in a, in a gorgeous, um, hotel and house in that's run by a family in, in Carmarthen called Mansion House. And, and they looked after us so well and we became family and, um, you know, no one was making, no one really was like fully making movies at this time. And we were just all so grateful to be, you know, interacting and having the best time making this crazy, crazy movie. <laughs> Last question, Max, uh, speaking of movies right off the top of your head, can you name one of your all time favorite films? And what is this, uh, what is it about this film that speaks to you today? Um, my favorite film is, is ghost, um, ghost or on the town. Uh, I love Ghost because who doesn't love Ghost? I mean, it's iconic. I think it's one. It was one of my mum's favorite films, and it was like one of those first sort of. I, I don't. It's not an adult movie, but like it. It was a grown-up movie, I suppose, 
I wasn't watching like cartoons and and animation anymore. It was like the first sort of maybe like feature that I really remember connecting with. And I just thought it was a beautiful movie. And like, I love films that have like a big reveal. And I remember just being so entertained and gasping when I found out that it was actually his friend that orchestrated this whole thing. And so that movie on the town, obviously beautiful musical visuals. Um, And I I just love, I just love film. I love film so much. Um, I feel like we need to continue to, strive to make films and to fight for fight for film and the art form of film and we're doing we're doing we're doing the work i hope you are thank you so much max for your time really enjoyed the film thank you so much and i'll chat to you on the next one hopefully definitely on the next one and the next one and the next one thank you so much (laughs) i'll see you next year (laughs) all right thank you so much take care bye-bye take care how's it going Rick? how are you here good to meet you you too man you too Look, so what I really enjoyed about this movie was it is a zombie comedy, and there are, there are moments of that, and it's great to to watch on an aesthetic level. But really, this movie, in in my opinion, is a is really about the the challenge of finding friends in a in a very lonely world. You know, can you can you speak to that sort of human theme behind this movie? Yeah, this film we could have done in a completely different way, couldn't we? I feel like you can take this script, pull out a few of the jokes, and you can make such a, a, a interesting, sensitive like social commentary on on people who deal with these kind of issues and 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 struggle in this way but we've obviously chosen to take a really light-hearted approach to it which I'm which I'm glad for my character it makes it a lot more kind of light-hearted and fun but yeah I think Max Max said earlier um something about that that I really agree with that is if you're if you're lonely and struggling to find friends don't fall into the trap of feeling like you need to change and be similar to other people just keep being yourself and and find things that you enjoy and do them and hopefully you'll find find friends through that so so yeah you know max was talking about the area this movie was shot in and i was asking him if it was a very idyllic location and he was talking about just really bonding with the cast and crew on this movie in the wonderful hotel what was that in the whole area what was this experience for you like was the location as idyllic and beautiful as it looked on screen it really really was um even more so the 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 kind of hotel we stayed at was a hotel but a very homely one and it was just us there because of lockdown it was just the cast and it was right by the sea with a beat with a lovely bench overlooking the, the beach and the sea and it really was it really was idyllic and and all the sets that we actually shot on as well um were so too and it just made for such a kind of enjoyable relaxing kind of kind of process but also the fact that we were all staying there together allowed us to really bond in a way that when we when in the following days to film as a family, we really felt like we'd had the time to play cards together and have a meal together. And and I think the setting that we were in really allowed us to to, to enjoy ourselves and feel like a real family. I really loved your work in silencing from a couple of years back. I mean, I'm sure that part has its own joys, but what was the joy in creating this character? Because these are, I'm just trying to compare these just yeah. night and day Thank you so much. Thank yes. you. Yeah, completely. I think that's the beauty of, of acting for me is, doing one role and, and then having the next one be completely different. It's, we're so lucky to be able to bring such different characters to life and be trusted by directors, casting directors to, to play completely different characters. And you're so right. I think um, the amount of trauma and vulnerability and, and stress that, that the character in silencing is under compared to this character, Mitch and Melonious boy is, is he's um, when I first read the script, I was honestly thinking that, He's dead. He has nothing to lose. And he just plays a happy-go-lucky, fun friend. And this is going to be something that I'm going to enjoy the process of. And secretly watching the movie, I realized Max does all the hard work. 
and I'm just there <laughs> having fun. So it's nice and refreshing to play such a different different role to anything I've done before. A curious question about the audience. What's it like to watching a film that you've worked really hard on for a while and to see it with a, a big audience? Is it an erotic feeling? Is it Are you fully engaged in the reactions? Is it nerve-wracking? Is it maybe all of those things? Yeah. Um, no, it's... it's it, the, the feeling of watching in a theatre with people who actually really want to be there and, and the vocal kind of like feedback that you get is something that I'm literally this month from going to see the Woman King premiere and this premiere. Um, the after fans are so ridiculously supportive that, that, that you know, it, I'm, I'm almost overwhelmed by that. So when I play a smaller role in a different film without maybe that many supporters, it's always really nice to see which bits do they find funny, which bits do they, because sometimes they won't laugh at the bit you expected them to, and, but not, but they'll laugh out loud at the bits that you didn't. And it's always really fun gauging firsthand what people think, uh, because yeah, when you're living in it, your opinion of what's going on is so skewed. It's like when you read the same sentence over and over again, it kind of stops making sense. So you do need to defer to, to the people who are seeing it for the first time. And I, I always really enjoy that process. Here are a couple more questions, just right from your resume, even though it's, you don't have 500 movies under on IMDb, but just from your movies and, and TV shows after watching this movie, what, where would you want people to to see next from your your body of work maybe a movie or project that you feel is underrated or should be seen yeah in terms of what projects i'd want to do next oh from your resume from what would you have people actually watch next after you know after this movie of the stuff i've already done yeah yeah you know feels underrated or overlooked maybe so you know what it's not necessarily underrated or overlooked but but um the woman king i'm so excited for people to see i'm just so proud of of the other cast in that and I'm proud of my work too but I'm just so grateful to have worked alongside such amazing people and the way though they brought those characters to life everyone I'm not even going to say names because everyone in that cast is amazing so I'd love for people to see that but since you mentioned the silencing I I, I do I, I I loved working on that I loved working with Nikolai um and I love films like that I love like dark psychological thrillers where you don't know what's happening and there's tension high stakes uh I would love to do more films like that so yeah definitely I, I think that would that would be up there for something that maybe might be a little bit overlooked here final question um can you right off the top of your head can you name one of your all-time favorite films and what is it about the specific film that still resonates with you today um okay cool so Shawshank Redemption and Pulp Fiction are up there but because they're so they're like IMDB up there so I won't touch on them I'm going to use a more a more kind of unique answer there's a French film called The Untouchables that I absolutely love Uh, and Brian Cranston and Kevin Hart did the remake I can't remember what they called it but the original the French one is just beautiful it's just got so many different tones of comedy and sensitivity and and just like the relationship between the two of them I don't want to ruin it because I want people to watch it but the French film The Untouchables is is, um, one of my favourite favourite films I think it's just so sensitive and nuanced and has a little bit of everything so I'd tell people go check that out Here, thank you so much for your time really enjoyed your film my pleasure thank you so much Greg really enjoyed talking to you Martin, first off, I, I I think I've known your stuff since Killers Anonymous. Really enjoy your work. What speaking of work, what is your workflow like? Because within a span of several years, you've come out with, in my opinion, a bunch of films, all of them good. But what what is your schedule like? How are you able to to do so many films within a span of maybe three to four years? Um, it's a good question. Have no life is the <laughs> it's the we are making films. No, it's um. We, we just, I mean, I'm pretty relentless in the fact that um, if I want to make something, you know, I'll, I'll bang my head against the wall till the wall comes down. That's always my kind of ethos. And I'm fortunate enough to, I guess, like like any job, the more you do it, 
the more um, people that you know that you can rely on who believe in you and trust you and, and will endeavor to kind of get your, you know, get the things you care about made. Um, but I think, yeah, it's been kind of since about 2018, it's been pretty relentless. I've not really had any time off, um, but I'm sort of, I don't do well with time off, you know. I'm always, if I take time off, I sit and I think about the next thing I want to do. And then after two days, I'll be like calling people. Like, oh, we should make this and we should make that. And it's like, I thought you were having a month off. I'm like, no, <laughs> I just can't. I love make. I love, I genuinely enjoy making films so much. I enjoy the entire process. It's just, I've not, I've not got bored yet of sort of like this whole concept of like something that starts as an idea that, Okay, sometimes it's based on a true story, but most of the time it's something that someone's, it's a kernel of an idea that someone's made up. And then fast forward 18 months later and you start watching it on a screen and it's just always going to be there and it'll live on. And I just, I just think that's amazing. You know, I just, I just really enjoy, enjoy the process and still feel so passionate and, and invigorated by it, I think. You know, I, this is a curious question. Whenever I'm editing a video or a podcast, I can five or six hours can go by, and I'm not a an editor like you on that level. But time flies, and I don't mind sitting in my little hovel for, for five <laughs> or six hours. Do you ever feel like with your projects, or maybe it depends on each project, but do you ever get lost in the weeds in the whether whether it's the editing room, your own suite, or whatever? And is it okay to be lost, what, what, even if it takes months on end, or is that not a good thing? Yeah, no, it's a good question. I think, I think that I, I think I used to kind of get, I used to get lost in it more in the sense of like, um, I know I'd always want to sort of like make sure that I was every single part of the film and every single scene and every single frame, even if it was like, I'd want to double check even my selects that I picked on set. I'd still want to go back and double check all the rushes. And then when I'm editing, and so I'd sometimes get lost in the weeds that way of like, like always wanting everything to be the best but now i'm not so bad with it because i tend to be a lot i'm, I'm very decisive on set so it's kind of like well, i've got that that's the one don't bother putting the rest down that's the one i want and then we'll communicate that with the editor and you know my, my, my workflow has become more uh, more decisive i think and more streamlined i think that's probably the key thing for me that stops me getting too caught as you say caught in the you know caught in the weeds because sometimes you can going to that black hole and be like, oh, I'm not getting it. It's like, you know, and I was, talk, I was talking to someone recently, another a director and has been editing a film for so long that he's almost like cares so much about it and wants it to be the best it can be. That you almost start to, it's trans, a transformative process. So it's like you start to lose sight of what it is you're trying to do. You're trying to now do what you were doing yesterday. But what you were doing yesterday was different to what you were trying to achieve eight weeks earlier so you can get just go around around the circles you know it's so i try to be i try to be decisive and i try to trust the, the people i'm working with i think as much as anything you know i okay so i'm going to cut this for from the actual interview and i'm going to talk to the patreon and podcast listeners of my of my podcast and we're going to talk about your film in the ending Max had a really interesting take about how he believes maybe oliver is is actually that this might be in his imagination and yeah. I, I wanted to get your take towards the end and also the fact of not compromising with the screenplay, meaning the zombie family actually perishes at the end as you could have made it a really just a broad stroke, really fun thing. And it's everyone's fine and, and everything's fine and dandy with the family, the zombie family. Can, so can you speak on both those levels? Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, I mean, Sveni Max and I talk about this quite, uh, quite regularly. Like we have this uh, 
but now it's becoming like a, we have this slot, not not differing opinion. And I think you know, I I think that in the screenplay, it's the ending of the film isn't ambiguous in the sense that the film and Oliver's journey comes to a decisive end. Oliver's, Oliver has a journey, that journey is completed and he is ready to move forward in his life. So I think that side of it is very, it's not ambiguous at all. But with the family, um, I can see it from both sides. I think in the screenplay, it was kind of like, I think insinuated to kind of like, let some people will think they, they it was all in his head and some won't. Obviously, I leaned into two contradictory things. I leaned into the fact that the movie's very much told from Oliver's perspective. You know, we're in his world with him. But the counter to Max Harwood's argument is that, that at, the, at the beginning of the movie, Goldfish is dead. Evan Ross goes up to Goldfish and he's like, ah, now you've got Goldfish, you're dead. However, Evan's voice, voice. And then at the end of the movie, the very last, very last frame of the film, Goldfish is moving in the ball. So, so that I think in itself speaks volumes. Wow. That, that, yeah, I noticed that. That was so, it's, you know, can you speak to the fact that it it could be enjoyed as a zombie entertainment comedy, but really it's about uh, everyone's challenging search for just to find a friend in this, it's in this lonely universe. Can you, did that appeal to you? The fact that it was really not just about this layer, this um, surface entertainment, which is fine, but there's, it goes deeper. Yeah, no, that's exactly it. I think from my perspective, it's like the kind of, you know, the, the, the zombie, the undead family and, and, and the kind of the way that we lit film and the colour palette and all of these things. It's kind of got this kind of almost a sort of horror fairy tale type elevated feel about it. But at the, at the very core of it, it's a very simple, relatable story about a young man who is experiencing grief and it's his journey of grief and trying to find a friend and trying to kind of, you know, reacclimatize himself with society again. And I think that is something that we can all relate to and and have experienced. And it doesn't just have to be with death. It can be with, like, the breakdown of a relationship, you know, with a partner and any of those things where you, the things that knock you off course, knock you off course and send you almost, like, internalizing to your own world and, and 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 the steps and the process that you must go to to kind of get back out there again and try and start again whether it's finding a friend whether it's moving on from uh you know the loss of a loved one or whether it's you know going out there and having the the, the kind of the bravery to go and start dating again you know it's whatever those things are, i think it's it's relatable so when it gets to the end of the film quite a few people have said to me which which i like love because like i'm like I'm weak because I'm like emotionally, like I'm quite, um, I'm not like the most emotional person in the world. I'm quite, I, I've been told I'm quite cold. I don't think I am, but there you go. But at the end of the film, I, the only thing I get emotional with them, when I don't watch films, I do get emotional. Like, I do cry and I watch movies and stuff. And, um, but not, I don't really in real life, which is, which is weird. But at the end of the movie, I, when I get to the end of the film, I still watch it. I get a little like lump in my throat at the end of the film. And, quite a few people who've watched the film have said to me the same thing. Like, I was so surprised that I felt emotional at the end of the film. And I was like, I think it's because, you know, the journey, the end of the film, it just feels, it feels relatable. I think, you know, the kid's plight, the film, all of his plight, it just, it feels so inherently relatable, you know? And, and, and I think that's, that's what really appealed to me about the project, I think. Yeah. You know, 
Martin, just from watching your body of work, it seems to me from an outsider's point of view, you you shoot personal projects with high-end production values. So maybe there's a level of autonomy there. But I was thinking, after watching Twist from a, from a year back, I was thinking maybe some studio would throw you just a lot of money and you could actually go into some kind of studio-driven project. Has that ever offer been... Would you ever like that offered to your door? But is Or is there something really cool with what you're doing and in that space, collaborating with the same actors or work, working again with Sally or all that stuff? Is there something to be said about what you're doing right now as opposed to that? Yeah, no, I think, I mean, I've always wanted to just make stuff that I that I would want to see, you know? So that's kind of, for me, has always been a big driver. And um, I'm sort of, I've always just been driven by wanting to make things. And, and I've always kind of hope that I could be in a space where I could create something and be involved in something more on a sort of studio level that that is something that when I get to do those projects, I'm kind of like, okay, yeah, this is what I want to be doing, as opposed to kind of forcing those opportunities earlier in my career and end up kind of doing things that I am compromising myself, if that makes sense, and not doing what I want to do. Because I'm not, I'm not good at that. I'm like, I just, I just can't. I can't do that as I, I would make, I just, I wouldn't feel right. So it's kind of weirdly the next project that I am uh, directing is a sort of that is essentially that step, you know, it is with, um, it is with the studio and, but also it's a project that, um, you know, I've been heavily involved in the, the development of it and feel that it's something but it's the type of material I want to make, and it's, it's a comedy, and it's out and out comedy, and, I, and I've really got a taste for doing comedy after Lonious Boy. But it's still going to be very much in the world of my aesthetic. So that is something I am actually doing, and I start shooting that film in thirtieth um, of January. I'm actually start prepping it already. So yeah, I start shooting that in January. I, I I really wish one of these days uh, when I'm be- between movies, I hope you actually take an extended vacation. But my final my final question to you, Martin, it, right off the top of your head, can you name one of your all time favorite films? And what is it a- about this specific movie that continues to uh, resonate with you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would say one of my all time favorite films is The Karate Kid, um, and and I think that the reason is. I love stories where, as I said earlier, it's just anything where the, the core story is just really simple and it's really simple and it's about, again, I think of an outsider trying to fit into somewhere but is immediately judged by other people but they don't know what this character's really going through, what they've gone through. For some reason, like Karate Kid, I mean, I've seen it. So I'm, I will watch movies hundreds and hundreds of times if i really like them it's ridiculous and uh, karate kid i just it's always resonates with me it makes me feel good if i'm feeling down and it's on i put a film on and i just it just it lifts me you know and that movie is just from like a era of films that i love karate kid um you know i even like like i like rocky four is my favorite rocky movie you know i know it's not the, i know it's not the best movie like, i know that but it's the one that if you said to me, you've got to choose one of these films to put on, and you're going to watch this film every day for the rest of your life, I would choose one for over the rest of it because it, it lifts you and you feel fun. And by the end of it, you're like, well, I enjoyed that. I'll watch it again. So, yeah, Karate Kid, Rocky Four, Back to the Future, Goonies, um, Monster Squad, like any, any of those sort of movies that I just kind of love. I'm a big, big fan of 80s films. 
big fan of eight stars. I really enjoyed your film. Thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Oh, thank you, Grace. So nice to speak to you, man. Very nice to meet you. Thank you. Pleasure. Talk to you for the next one. Absolutely. 100%. 100%. <laughs> okay. Take care. Take care. Bye. Bye.